Hello friends at Potton, it's good to be with you and to share something from the scriptures that I hope will be a help and encouragement to us in these days. Perhaps you'd like to turn to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament and chapter 43, Isaiah chapter 43, and we'll read the first seven verses of Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43 verse 1 But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honoured, and I have loved you. Therefore I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. I wonder what makes you afraid. Perhaps in these days, the whole COVID-19 pandemic has made you afraid for yourself, perhaps for family, for friends, uh, for church life, perhaps for our nation. But there are other things that make us afraid as well, aren't there, outside of our current situation. There are perhaps people or places that bring fear to us, perhaps at school or at work or at home or even perhaps in church. Suffering makes us afraid. Perhaps the past, when we think about that, makes us afraid. Or the future, we wonder what the future holds. Perhaps for some of us, it's flying, being on a plane or, or spiders or a visit to the dreaded dentist. These kind of things make us afraid. It's, it's an unpleasant feeling, fear, isn't it? And we've all experienced fear in different ways. If you were to look at the NHS website and what to do if you feel fearful, they will give you some useful advice. They say, take time out, breathe through the panic, visualise a happy place, talk about your fears. And yes, those kind of things can be, can be useful. But for the Christian, isn't there more available to us when we're feeling afraid, when we're fearful? Twice in the verses that we read from Isaiah, we read the words, fear not. In verse 43, sorry, in verse 1 and in verse 5. God says to his people, if you're a Christian, he says, fear not, don't be afraid. But we need perhaps to think initially of what was going on in the life of God's people whenever Isaiah wrote this to them. 
why were they afraid? The background to Isaiah is, is this, that in chapters 38 and 39, we are told there how King Hezekiah had turned from God's ways, from the true way of faith. And he had turned from trusting God's promises as he sought deliverance from enemy, the Assyrians, by making an alliance with Babylon. And so he had turned from trusting in God to trusting in this foreign heathen nation, Babylon. And so it's as if God is saying to Hezekiah, since you have chosen Babylon to Babylon, you shall go. And God's people were exiled to Babylon. If we look at the, the chapter that comes before 43, chapter 42, and Isaiah verse 18, we read these words. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant or deaf? As my messenger whom I sent, who is blind as he who is perfect and blind as the Lord's servant, seeing many things, but you do not observe, opening the ears, but he does not hear. God's people have become spiritually deaf and spiritually blind. And then further down the chapter from verse 24 and 25, we see what God did. Verse 24. Who gave Jacob for plunder and Israel to the robbers? Was it not the Lord? He against whom we have sinned. For they would not walk in his ways, nor were they obedient to his law. Therefore he has poured on him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle. It has set him on fire all around, yet he did not know. And it burned him Yet he did not take it to heart. This was what God was doing to his people. They were, there were going to be difficult days for God's people. They were going to be taken into Babylon and to be away in exile for 70 years. But despite God's people turning away from him, God still loved his people. God still had a plan for his people. He would one day enable them to return from exile. He'd made promises to his people and he would keep those promises. So God's people in Isaiah's time would have been fearful, would have been afraid about their future. As they looked and saw their enemy, the Assyrians, the prospect of being in exile in Babylon, away from home. They perhaps were asking the question, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to our nation? And sometimes we ask a similar question in our lives. Jesus asked the same question on the cross, didn't he? He asked why. But look at how Jesus framed his why in his question. He said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He brought God, his heavenly father, into his Fears, and, and that's perhaps what we need to do as well, bring God into our fears. We believe God reigns. We believe he has all power and authority. So ultimately, he's the one in control over our individual lives and over nations of the world. But maybe a better question to ask rather than why is who? Who is bringing these events into my life? Who's 
permitting these things? Who is ordering these things in my life and the nation's life? And of course, the answer is God. The theme of, of the book of Isaiah could be summed up in the question, in whom do you trust? Are you trusting in God? Are you trusting in someone or something else? But can we trust God with all of life's circumstances? Can God be trusted when we're afraid? Well, Isaiah would tell us yes. And we come then in verse, in chapter 43, to some of the tenderest words God ever spoke to his people. And I trust that we'll see that these words God speaks to us as his children as well. So we want to continue that questioning and, and think first of all of, of who who is God who tells me not to fear? Remember, we looked and saw that God says fear not in verse 1 and again in verse 5. But, but who is this God who tells us not to fear? Can we, can we really trust him? Or look what he tells us about himself in verse 1. But now thus says the Lord, the Lord who created you. The Lord is the creator. Only this God who tells us not to fear, only he has the ability, only he has the power to make something out of nothing. You remember the first verse in our Bibles, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God made this world of absolutely nothing. He spoke and it happened. Now we as God's creatures who he brought into life, we share that same skill of creativity but we need materials to make things. If you're, if you're wanting to make a lasagna, you need ingredients, you need the pasta, you need the mince, you need the sauce, you need other things as well. But you need to assemble those ingredients if you like to, to make the lasagna. If you're going to build, create a bridge, well, you need the materials, you need the metal and so on to, to create that bridge. But our God, who tells us not to fear, is the one who just speaks and the world is formed. Think of his power. Can you trust this God? And not just he created you in verse 1, but he who formed you you that's a bit more intimate it's God who who shaped you Alec Mateer says this that this phrase this this word that he who formed you indicates a painstaking care whereby every circumstance of life is weighed and measured to give exactly the right pressure of the potter's hand so that the finished vessel will match his specifications. This is the God who tells you not to fear, the God who, who formed you. And he describes God's people in, in verse 1 as, as Jacob and Israel. The previous chapter in verse 24 again we see God's people being described as Jacob and as Israel. It's the same God who, who punished his people by sending them into exile, who also speaks so tenderly about them and to them, even in the punishments, the discipline of the Lord. He remains faithful to his people. 
Jump down to verse 3. I am the Lord your God. Not the God you have chosen, but the God who has chosen you. Look at verse 10. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. My servant whom I have chosen. God chooses his people. The Lord is your God. The Lord is the God of all his people. And this is the God who, who tells you, fear not. Still in verse 3, God's described as the Holy One of Israel. And this phrase, the Holy One of Israel, is really as I a special title for the Lord. We see it elsewhere in his writings. God being holy, didn't prevent him having a relationship with a sinful person like me or like you. He's holy, but he's also your saviour. See that in verse 3. The one who rescues you, the one who saves you. God's people perhaps might think back when they read this, of this word, the saviour, to how he rescued them from Egypt. It was towards the end of the plagues that Pharaoh's servants asked him in Exodus 10 verse 7. Do you not understand that Egypt is ruined? Cush and Seba mentioned in verse 3 are Ethiopia. And Seba are in the extreme south of Egypt and, and beyond. And God delivered his people from Egypt at the expense of the Egyptians. He was their saviour. Remember what I've done for you. Remember how I've rescued you. Remember how I've saved you. So who is the God who, who tells you, who tells me not to fear? He's the one who created you. The one who created the world. He's the one who formed you, who forms you. He is your God. He is the Holy One. He is your Saviour. This is the God who tells you not to fear. Can't he be trusted? Can't you trust in him? But then secondly, we've, we've looked, who is this God? Well then, let's move on and ask another question. This time, what must I remember when I'm afraid? What must I remember when I'm afraid? Verse 1 again, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Verse 5, fear not, for I and with you here are two things especially for us to remember when we're fearful, when we feel afraid. These are the reasons given to us not to be afraid. So verse 1, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Therefore, do not be afraid. But we need to understand, don't we, what this word redeemed means? It's a word that we see in the Bible. It's a biblical word. It's a word that we use in church life quite a lot and are singing as well. What, what does this word redeemed mean? Well, simply it means to, to be set free by paying a price. Think of this little illustration that might help. Think or imagine you're, you're passing a pet shop and you see a cage of beautiful birds 
and the birds seem to be wanting to escape. They haven't got a lot of space. They're chirping and they come over as you're walking past and, and, and you get that sense that that's not how they're meant to be. They're not meant to be caged up. But they can't escape themselves. And, and you feel sorry for the birds and you want to give them their freedom. And you ask the shopkeeper how much the birds cost and, and you decide to buy them all and, and you pay the price for all of the birds in the cage and you take the cage of birds and, and you take it outside perhaps to a park. You open the cage door and you release them. They fly away. They're free. Those birds have been redeemed. They've been set free. The price has been paid. You've paid a price for them and you've released them. You've freed them. God's people, the Jews who had been slaves in Egypt, had been set free, had been redeemed. And the price paid was either the firstborn Egyptian in the household was, was put to death or, or the lamb. A lamb God's people were told to sacrifice a lamb and, and the blood from the lamb was daubed around their front doors. The price had been paid for their freedom and they escaped. They were liberated as Moses led them out and through the Red Sea. It's as if God is saying to his people here, fear not for I have redeemed you. Fear not because remember what I've already done for you. Remember the Red Sea. Therefore, don't be afraid. God's people in the Old Testament look forward to a promised Redeemer, to a Messiah. And Job himself wrote and said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And we... In these days, we, we look back to Jesus, the Redeemer, who has come, who came from heaven to earth to redeem us, to set us free by paying a price, to release his people who were slaves to the devil and to sin and to darkness and to their own waywardness and sinfulness. You and I, we were prisoners to sin to Satan but Jesus came Jesus redeemed his people by dying for them on the cross in their place by his death he paid the price to release to free us from our sinfulness Paul writes in Ephesians 1 verse 7 in him in Christ we have redemption we have been redeemed through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Have you been redeemed? Perhaps you're listening and you're not a Christian. You haven't been set free. You're enslaved, you're trapped in your sinful ways and you're not living life as God intended for you to live. But there is a Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who you can know. And it's not us, it's not you, it's not me that pays the price to release us from our sinfulness. Two boys who were close friends at school as they got older, their lives took different paths and they got out of touch. But one day they met again in quite strange circumstances. One of the friends was now a judge in, in the court. Another, well, he was up before the judge because he had done something wrong he was a criminal case was heard the criminal was clearly guilty 
The judge couldn't overlook or forget the crime that his friend had done. He had to be a just judge. Justice had to be done. And the judge pronounced the criminal, his boyhood friend, guilty. And he had to pay a fine. But the criminal had no money. The judge got up. He went and he stood beside his old schoolboy friend and said to him, I'll pay the fine for you. The judge himself paid the fine and the criminal went free. He was released. And so our sin must be punished. Justice must be done. But God, but Jesus so loved us as people that, that he came and he, if in a sense, stands beside us and paid the debt that, that you and I could never pay to be free from our sin. If you're a Christian, he's taken your punishment. He's died in your place. That is redemption. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, once for sinners slain. So don't be afraid, says God, because I have redeemed you. I have done all this for you. So great, so eternal, so wide, so wonderful is my love for you. And if I've done all this for you, am I going to give up on you? John Newton's words come to mind in one of his hymns. His love in time past forbids me to think he'll leave me at last in trouble. To sink. So fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. There's a direct, there's a personal relationship. I have called you by your name. Don't we, don't our ears prick up when we hear our name being called? God has called us, brought us to himself, and he says, you are mine. You're mine. You're safe. For all eternity, because I've loved you with that everlasting love, because I've called you by your name, you're mine. But there's more. Look at verse 4. We're described as God's people are described as precious in his sight. We're described as honoured. We're described as love. It just keeps coming. It just keeps stacking up. We're precious to God. God honoured us. God loves us. How valuable the Lord's people are to him. There's an affection there. There's a possession. He he claims us as his own. We're, we're God's adopted child. I am your God. You're my child. You're my people. And so God says to us, listen, just, just remember what I've done for you. Remember who I am. Remember I've redeemed you. So, so don't be afraid. And then let's move on to the second thing to remember when you're afraid in verse 5. Fear not for I am with you. Don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. God has purchased. God has paid the price for your freedom. And then don't be afraid. I am with you. God hasn't just purchased or paid the price for your freedom. But God is present with you. Always. Even now, wherever you are. Hebrews 13 verse 5. I will never leave you nor 
forsake you. David, the psalmist, writes in Psalm 37, verse 25, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. I will never leave you. I am with you. Tomorrow morning, when I'm at work, in my office, God will be fully present with me. And at the same time, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, God will be fully present with you in exactly the same way. He says, I am with you. I'm with all of God's people. God is able to be fully present everywhere. You cannot hide from God. How wonderful to know that the Lord is with you wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And so he says to us, fear not, I am with you. And perhaps we need to practice just remembering, recalling whatever our situation, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, the Lord is with me. And so I need not be afraid. I'm not facing this situation, I'm not facing this person, I'm not facing even being on my own, really on my own, because God is with me. So what God tells us here about what to remember when you're afraid, well, you're really rooted in who God is, that we've thought about initially, his character, what he's already done, and what he will continue to do for us. So we need to remember who this God is who tells us not to fear. And then we need to move on and, and we need to remember some of these truths that we have been redeemed. That God is present with us. And then finally, a final question we've thought of who, thought about God, we've thought of uh, what we need to remember. But then how, how will this, how will this not being afraid, how will that be seen in my life? What's the practical outworking, if you like, of these truths? Look at verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. You notice verse 2 begins when, not if. Not if you pass through the waters, but when. You see, we're not exempt from difficulties as Christians in this life. We will pass through difficulties. God's people here, they were going into exile. They were going into difficulties. We don't have a promise of a trouble-free future. But we do have the promise that God makes of his sustaining presence with us. I will be with you when you pass through the waters, he says. Even in his, his punishments, the Lord promises to remain with his people, even through those times that, that aren't punishments for us. But in the Lord's goodness, he sees that suffering, pain, difficulties are going to strengthen our faith, are going to perhaps draw us closer to him, are going to help us in some way that we don't quite see at the time. He is with us. Perhaps Isaiah is picturing the Israelites trekking off to exile, to hardship, to enslavement. But the Lord is still with his people. Even in Babylon, his people were there. Think of Daniel. Isaiah talks about the waters. 
about the rivers. Perhaps that evoked memories in God's people of what they have heard from their forefathers of crossing the Red Sea, of going through the Jordan River. Perhaps the talk of fire and flames in verse 2 as well. Perhaps Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego remembered this verse before they went into the fiery furnace and even when they came out. And they very literally knew that the flames had not scorched them. They would not be burned in the fire. But we can apply this verse to ourselves today, can't we? God will be with you as you pass through the waters, as you go through the rivers, as you walk through the fire, as the flames are licking around you. God will be with you. He will not abandon you. We will, each of us, have to go through our own particular trials and difficulties and suffering. But whatever it is, God promises to be with you because you're one of his valued, cherished, honoured, valued people. And so you can step out in faith as you go through the waters, as you walk through the fire and recall the promises God has given to you. And call out to God, remind God of his promises as you pray. Lord, you've promised to be to be with me as I pass through this difficult time. You've promised that these sufferings, these trials, they won't overflow me. But Lord, it feels as if I'm about to be overflowed. It feels as if I'm going to be overwhelmed. But you've promised that you'll be with me and they won't overflow. Remind God of his promises. Call out to him in faith. And you can be sure not only of the Lord's presence, that he will be with you, but also of his control over your difficulties, because he promises they shall not overwhelm you. They shall not overflow. The flame shall not consume you. You'll not drown. You'll not be burned up. God sets a limit even to our sorrows, to our difficulties, to our trials. So if you're a Christian, you're loved by God, in a remarkable way. Therefore, God says to us, do not fear. I want to take time just to read some verses from Romans 8 that underline God's commitment to us. Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? We shall bring a charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written. For your sake we are killed all day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, 
which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If God is in control, all is well. It may not be comfortable. It may not be how we hoped life might be. But perhaps the response that Eli had after Samuel told him that God was going to punish his family forever is something that we can learn to say. Eli said this in 1 Samuel chapter 3, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. The Lord will bring you through misery, heartache, pain, suffering, fear, to a happier destination in this world. You will, you should make anguished cries to the Lord for help as many of the Psalms do. But death, mourning, tears and pain in this life will be unheard of in heaven. Christian, you're going to a place where there's eternal life, where there's joy and love and where fear will not exist.